Um, like I just said, my name is Jeremy. I am the youth pastor here at Crown Point Church, and I am so excited to be here and share with you guys this morning. Um, <clears throat> just side note, I really need help with fireworks. So um, if you love your youth pastor, um, you love students, you love student ministry, um, then you will help me with fireworks. Um, but really, uh, one thing we forgot to do is what we're going to do right now is we're going to take up our offering. And uh, so if our ushers would come and do that, we're going to have a time of giving this morning. Thank you so much as you prepare to give today. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you give. Um, like I said last week, because of, of your giving, um, it helps guys, missions trip like this happen. It helps ministries like VBS happen at our church. And it helps uh, so many things happen here. So thank you so much for giving today. So as we're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Has anybody, um, one of my favorite things, and it's coming up next month, it's happening really, really soon, not the 4th of July and not fireworks, but Shark Week. Anybody? You like Shark Week? It's coming up soon. It's coming soon. I love Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. It's coming soon. I am fascinated by sharks. Anybody else? You're fascinated by, okay, me. I like sharks. I can admit that today. Um, This last year, during Shark Week, I wasn't able to catch every episode, but there was this one I caught. I caught this episode, and it was so good. It was on the Discovery Channel, and they were doing a study on great white sharks off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa. And and I don't know what it is about Shark Week hosts, but they all yell. You know what I'm talking about? They all yell. And so I'm just like casually flipping through the and I come on the discovery channel and just I'm just kind of wondering if the show will be engaging and before I know it I am so engrossed in the moment because the discovery channel hosts these guys are genius they're they're preachers basically like the discovery channel host he's screaming at me and like he's like ladies and gentlemen welcome to the discovery channel we are on a boat off the coast of cape town south africa and we have just put chum in the water and there is blood everywhere great shark what great white sharks are circling the boat and we're going to test a theory today that single uh, preys are far more likely to be attacked by great white sharks than a pack of prey And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to put a single decoy of seal on the outside of the boat, and then we're going to put together this pack of seals, and we're going to see if a great white shark attacks the single seal more than the pack of seals. Naturally, I'm engaged. I like volume. I like volume. And so literally, they have this rubber seal and they, they, they put it out there and they have this cluster of fake seals that they put together. And there was only just this one little rubber seal that they put out way in the distance. And, and its entire body, the whole thing, it's just a fake rubber seal. And, 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 and sure enough, before you know it, the great white shark comes out of the water, almost its whole body comes out of the water, attacking that individual seal and, and, and destroys its whole little rubber body. And the climatic conclusion of the Shark Week is the host 
like holding up the piece of mangled seal and the mangled rope and a dangling that, that fake piece of seal. And he's holding it there and he's like, just as we suspected. It seems very obvious to us that if you are in shark infested waters, you should stay together in a pack and you will be far less likely to be attacked by great white sharks. And then the credits roll. I don't mean to overstate what I just shared with you this morning, but I might have just saved your life. You can thank me later. If I'm ever around shark infested waters, um, I don't think I would get in the water at all. But if I was to get in the water, I would get in with a bunch of you guys. Because I don't have to outswim the shark, great white shark. I only have to outswim you. <laughs> so I don't, think it's, I don't think it's strange that even by nature, we're pointed to the power and, and, and significance of community, of community. And if you ever read Genesis 1, you'll remember God saying this, let us create man in our image. See, God is singular in character, but plural in person. He's God the Father, he's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is three and one. And so how important is community to God? Well, God is a community in and of himself. So I think that's pretty important if we are all created in the image of God, then we are community beings. And, and the fact is, as awkward as this to, to say to you this morning, I need you. The fact is, that I need you. But this is my favorite part. You need me. <laughs> You need me, too, and we need each other. So today, we're talking about the power of community, and not long ago, um, hopefully most of you guys, we had these meals with our family, and like Thanksgiving or Christmas, where the whole family gets together and we have these meals. If If you're in the family, you have a seat at the table. So how many of you guys, um, when you have your big family meals, um, you, your family, uh, they, have, they have the adult table, and then they have the kids' table, right? You know what I'm talking about? And the kids' table is usually typically a plastic table that's kind of set out of the way, probably in another room, right? And eventually, like, eventually, just so you guys know, students, eventually you'll make it to the adult table. Do you know how you make it to the adult table? Somebody has to die, Unfortunately, I mean, I'm sorry. Um, so here's the deal. We, we sit around a table with people that are family, but we also call them crazy. Anybody got that crazy family? You know what I'm talking about? We also, every single family, every single family has a level of dysfunction. Every single family does. We just need to learn how to put the fun in dysfunctional. So I started thinking about some qualities that all families or communities have around the table. And every, every family is different. I know that. But I think that these qualities are present in most every community. The first one is love. First one's love. M- myself 
and my family, my immediate, my wife and my kids, as much as my kids may argue and fight, there is legitimate love for each other. I love like when my whole large family gets together. I'm the youngest of six. And so we have a large family. I love it when we all get together. There's like 40 people in the house. It's awesome. And you can just feel, well, there's tension at the same time, but you can feel the love in the room, right? Same thing with my wife's family. You can just feel the love in the room. And the second thing we have in a family is conflict. It's conflict. If you have not, you have not had an official family meal until there's been an official family fight. Am I right? I mean, you've got like the political activist at the table. You've got the arguer at the table. You've got the person who just talks because they like the sound of their own voice. You've got the smacker. Where's my knife? I could stab someone right there. Um, So many different people at your table. And the third thing is you have confusion at the table. There's confusion. And I'll never forget the first time sitting down with my wife, Kristen, and her family for Thanksgiving. And like everyone was there. And now here's the deal. My mom's side of the family, everyone's kind of polite and, and proper. And they wait their turns to talk. And no one's talking at the same time. But the first time at Kristen's family, everyone talks at the same time. And, it's, and, and they're talking to you. And it's loud. And it's like the loudest event in the world. And finally, Kristen's grandpa will yell out mid-story, is anyone even listening to me? There's frustration at the table. Everybody has that family member who's always late. Everyone's got that family member. I've got a cousin um, who is late every single year. She's late every single year, no matter what. My, my grandmother is diabetic, and she has to eat at a certain time. My cousin puts her off schedule. And, and I don't know why we don't just tell her we're having Thanksgiving breakfast so she could show up in time for lunch. But we all have that family member who frustrates us, who makes us angry. And so finally, we have connection. <clears throat> There's connection at the family table. There's a connection there, and the connection is so deep that I can call my family crazy and talk about my family, but you better not do that. You know what I'm talking about. You better not do that. They may be some of the worst people in the world, and I can talk about them, but if you come and talk about my family, you might get a punch in the throat. (laughs) Family is connected by something deeper. I learned that the hard way. One day, Kristen was going on about her mom being a controlling in a certain situation, and I chimed in, and I agreed. I should not have done that. Um, I got chewed up one side and down the other. I learned my lesson. There's a deep connection in community. And so as we talk about this family, about this community, um, often in the Bible, the, re- the church... Is, is referred to as a family. And I was thinking about the qualities of family, and I think it started thinking about the qualities of a church, and just like we have crazy family, we have crazy church people. Like, be honest. Don't look or don't point fingers. But I started thinking we have every one of these qualities in our church. For example, 
We have love in this room. Everybody say, ah. I love the fact that people in this room love each other. I love to see groups of people going bowling or going to the movies or just hanging out or just going to the lake together or being together. I've seen people cry together. I've seen people celebrate together. That's the church. We're in this together. You know what else we have in our church? We have conflict. And here's the deal. If you ever leave one church and go to another because there's conflict, you're crazy. Um, you're like, well, I just want to be at a church where there's no conflict or, or no drama. Give it time. <laughs> if you're there long enough, there will be drama. You will be judged. You will be talked about. There will be conflict. There will be a group of people. There will never be a group of get to, people get together where there is zero conflict. Unfortunately, we are human beings. Um, one part of being a part of a great family is not the absence of conflict, but it's learning how to fight without the relationship being destroyed. There's confusion in the church, especially for first timers. Um, I've actually heard this like during the music time, during the worship time. Why do all those people have so many questions? And some people have two questions. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and so people have, sometimes like we use insider lingo at church. Um, and I try my best not to use insider church lingo, but sometimes it just happens. We have frustration in the church. I, I don't know why you don't sing my favorite song. And I don't know why we don't do this. And I don't know why we do, don't do that. We have frustrations in the church. And finally, we have connection. See, because the connection in the church is deeper than I like you, you like me, let's be friends. The connection goes back to a bloodline. And, and his name is Jesus. And he sacrificed his life for us. If we can't agree on anything else as a family, there's one thing that we can agree on. And is that Jesus is the hope of the world. Now, there's this myth that people believe about the church. That only people who have it all together are accepted at church. Or only people who are popular or people who are important are accepted at church. Or people who are perfect are accepted at church. And here's what I know about every single person in this room. All of us, at least once in our lives, spiritually, have felt like you're unsuccessful, that you've failed, that you've messed up, that you've made a mistake. None of us in this room are perfect. Sometimes, maybe for you, it's not praying daily or often or ever, um, or maybe it's doing your, you're reading your, your scriptures, reading the Bible, or, or uh, even just having a conversation with God, loving God or, or loving others. And the myth is that we have to be completely success, successful to be, at, to be sitting at the table with Jesus. If you don't get anything else I, I say today, I want you to get this in Christ. Not every story is a success story, but every story is a love story. Not every story is a success story, but every story 
is a love story. The reason we can sit at the table with Christ is not because of our success, but because of the sacrifice of our Savior. See, Jesus modeled this family idea with his disciples. If you got your Bibles today, you can go to the book of Matthew um, 10, starting in verse 2. Because here's the deal, even Jesus had a crazy family. He had a crazy community that he was involved in. Like he had some straight up crazy people at the table. If you were to look at these guys and you would judge them on what they did and where they came from, we would probably say that they didn't belong at Jesus' table. So starting in, in, um, with uh, verse 2, it goes like this. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You see, in this list, we see a list of these crazy characters who were invited by Jesus to be in his family, in his community. Not because of how successful they were, it's because of how loved they were by Christ. Let's look at Matthew, the tax collector. Now, everybody at some point in your life will be betrayed by someone else. Am I right? At some point in your life, you'll be betrayed by someone else. You'll be hurt. You'll be stabbed in the back. You'll be shot in the back. Uh, Well, if you love gun control, you probably prefer to be stabbed in the back. And it just isn't good. I had a good friend. Um, We both grew up in Oklahoma, and we were huge Oklahoma Sooners fans, and, and because all true followers of Jesus are. And like we had the gear and every the hats and the shirts, and we even had like Oklahoma Sooners sweatpants, and like we had the gear, posters, all this kind of stuff, and everything. We had this older friend of ours who was pretty influential on our lives because if you if you know Oklahoma, if you grew up in Oklahoma, there's Oklahoma and there's Oklahoma State, and we don't know. We don't that don't happen. We don't get along. You know, and if you find out, you, you look at someone totally different if you find out they're an Oklahoma State fan. I just, I, that's just how it goes. So we had this guy, this friend of ours. He was older than us. He was very influential in, in our lives. And, and I remember uh, one year, he came, my friend was hanging out with our older friend who happened to be an Oklahoma State fan. And they hung out for a while. And all of a sudden, my friend came back and, and he said, you know what? I think I'm going to be an Oklahoma State fan. That was over 15 years ago, and I'm still deeply wounded by this to this day. Like, he turned his back on me in my favorite school. But with Matthew, the tax collector, it was no laughing matter because a tax collector in this society were people who totally turned their back on God. There was no hope for them. They were the worst kind of the people on the planet, but somehow he got a seat at Jesus' table. Not because he was a tax collector, but because he was loved. There are probably some people in this room who have walked away from God. You do things you know you shouldn't do. You say things you know you shouldn't say, and you act like ways that you know you shouldn't be acting like, and you look at things that you know that you shouldn't be looking at, and you may feel spiritually unsuccessful, but you know what? There's still room 
at the table for you. In this community, you get your place at the table and in the family because you're loved. If Matthew, the lowest of the low, had a place in Jesus' community, then no one in this room is disqualified from being in his family and sitting at his table. Not because you're perfect, but because you're loved. The next person I want to talk about is Simon the Zealot, because Simon was probably the greatest hype man ever. You know, you know what a hype man is, right? You have never seen anyone until you have seen this man. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the greatest. He heals people. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He is the greatest. Everybody get up on your feet and recognize Jesus. You know, like he is the hype man for Jesus. Like he gets the crowd pumped up for Jesus. He's a zealot. Have you ever met a zealous person? You know what I'm talking about? Um, Like climate change people? Um, or, or One Direction fans, um, if you know what that is, or Republicans or Democrats. I mean, there are some zealous people, and, and typically people who are highly opinionated are fired up about something, and Simon was a zealot, and zealots are people who are, um, in this day, they were people who were zealous over Israel, about Israel, and and zealots, though, they hated two groups of people. They hated, they hated Romans and they hated tax collectors. So Simon and Matthew hated each other. They hated each other. But because of Jesus, these guys were at the same table and were part of the same community together. You'll have people who will disagree with you strongly here. But stronger than your disagreement should be your love for each other. Can I get an amen? What if Christians would put aside their personal preferences and focus on Jesus? How great would our world be? Third person at the table was Judas. And Judas was probably considered to be the most successful person there. Reason why is because he was the treasurer and you don't make the idiot the treasurer, right? You make the most trusted person the treasurer. treasurer. And Judas was proof that you can be around Jesus, but you can never be in Christ. I've met so many people who think that they are in church and around Jesus, and so that makes them a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you more of a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. It may make you look like a cheeseburger, but it doesn't work. Um, Judas, in the eyes of the world, was one of the most successful people, but he never bought into the person of Jesus. I don't want people in this room to die and to stand at the gates of heaven and realize that you were in church, but you were never in Christ. If you have ever doubted your, salvations, your salvation, if you've ever had questions about salvation, then today is your day to get that right. And so finally, we have Thomas. And, and I feel like that I could connect with Thomas the most. Like Thomas, he, he was kind of skeptical, right? Uh, you guys ever met a skeptical person, right? And you could, you, could ju- you could go to them and you could say, I just had the best cheeseburger in the world, 
No, you didn't. Nah, you didn't. You, you are a see it to believe it kind of person. Like how many of you guys would admit in this room that you're skeptical? <laughs> Let me tell you what just happened. Real skeptical people didn't raise their hands. You were like, I don't know. Thomas was the most skeptical disciple. In, in our Bible, in John twenty twenty four. here's what happened. Jesus had just uh, risen from the dead. Thomas was at the table with, with Jesus. He was in his family for, for three years, a part of his community for three years. He put all his hope, all his trust in Jesus and believing he believed that following Jesus was worth it. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesus crucified and ultimately died and put, died and put in the tomb, and, and it's sealed up. And, and maybe, just maybe, Thomas was saying, I, I can't believe in this anymore. I can't believe in him anymore. He, he's dead. And all of us would probably, if we were honest with ourselves, we would probably have some problems still believing in Jesus, if that was us. So after Jesus rose from the grave, he showed up to the house and Thomas had just happened to not be there. And so the other disciples, they told him, Jesus is alive. It says this, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the hands, uh, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Can we all agree that's a skeptic? Watch what happens, though, in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do, you, do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I can't explain every issue that you may be going through, but if you have doubts you've got issues, I want to tell you this, that Jesus is not intimidated by your doubts. He's not intimidated by your issues. I, I would be willing to bet that there are some people in this room who, ha, who may have some strong doubts today. Like I'll stand up here and I'll say, God is good and we are in a community together. And you go, man, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Because you've gone through things in your life and, and you, maybe you don't feel like you're part of the family. Sometimes it's hard to believe in the goodness of God when we go through things sometimes. And I can't tell you why sometimes bad things happen, but I can tell you that he uses everything ultimately for the good because Jesus, if Jesus can be beaten and died on a cross and be put in a tomb and come back to life, he can take care of whatever's dead on the inside of you and bring it back to life. Because that's who he is, and that's what he does. Whoever a band come back up. Um, I saved Thomas for last in Jesus' family because I know that some of us are very, very skeptical about living this life that Christ promises. Um, some of you, you've turned your back on God. And today is the day that you can fix that relationship. Maybe you, you've been like Simon the Zealot and you've had an issue with somebody, a fellow believer, and you've been at war. Maybe today it's time to get that right. Remember when Jesus was preaching that one time and he said this, he said, love your enemies, 
the world will know, like Dennis said it earlier, the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you what? By the way you love one another. How timely is that right now in our world? Maybe you're here today and you're like Jesus, Judas, and you've been around Jesus, but you've never received Jesus. You've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you're Thomas and you, you've got some questions and you've got some doubts and you want to believe that he's good and he cares, but because, because of things that have happened in your life, you're having a hard time believing. This is your opportunity to, to lean in closer to Jesus and see him in a way that you've never seen him before. Maybe he may not change your circumstances, but he can change your heart. The best kind of, that's the best kind of change there is. Um, in high school, I played football, and I'm, I'm done after this. In high school, I played, I played football. And I know, you're, don't laugh. You're laughing on the inside. Um, I played football, and, and on my team, we had this guy who was six foot five, 320 pounds. He was a massive man. He was huge. And, and believe it or not, you may laugh even more here, but I was a running back. Yeah. Um, well, I was one of them. Um, so here's the deal with this guy. He got letters from every major college football program there was. He was good. He was an offensive guard and he was good. Like he was massive and he was athletic. I, I raced him in a foot race one time and he beat me. I was like, for real? You, this isn't supposed to happen. And so like this guy, he got letters from every college football program there was wanting them, him to come to their school and play. <clears throat> when we would run plays, guess where most of them would go? Behind him. Wherever he goes, that's where we're taking the ball. He would pancake people. Like, it was awesome. We would watch videos back and just, like, make a highlight film of just this guy pancaking people. And, and so we would run plays right behind this guy. Why? Because he's six foot five, 320 pounds. I remember one time in the locker room, the coach was talking to the offense. He was talking to the whole team and he said, look, at the, look around the room. What do you guys see? You see one man here who's six foot five, 320 pounds. That's what you see. And he said, Jeremy, how tall are you? And I said, on paper or for real? <laughs> because you listed me at five, seven and I'm more like five, three, maybe. I've grown an inch or two since then, just so you know. Um, but he said, well, okay, well, how much do you weigh? And I was like, uh, 135 soaking wet. He went around the room asking different guys the same thing. And he said, think about it, men. There's no other guy on, in this room. There's probably no other guy in our conference who's six foot five, 320 pounds, who has every major college program looking at him. And he said, all these college football coaches who come to the game aren't coming to see any of you guys. They came to see this guy. He's literally twice the man you are, Jeremy. So the coach had a good point, you know. Um, if, if you're going to win you've got to play to your strengths. You got to play to your strengths. Look at, you have to look at the inventory of your team. Oh, they're coming to see him. He's, he's the biggest, he's the fastest, he's the strongest. Church, could we stop for a moment and, and look around and go, we're pretty average. 
We're pretty ordinary. But, but there's one amongst us who, and, and six foot five, 320 pounds, doesn't even begin to describe his greatness. It doesn't even begin to describe his majesty, his beauty, his glory, his power, because Jesus is enough. We have to play to our strengths. Church, what's our strength here? Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always only Jesus. We've got to play to our strengths here. You know, if we're growing closer to Jesus, we're not growing closer to the world. Because one thing we say in our student ministry is that growing people change. If you don't like the way your life is right now, you need to grow closer to Jesus. Because growing people change. You can't stay the same and be growing closer to Jesus. It's literally impossible. You can't stay the same. We have to play to our strengths. And that's Jesus. He's the reason. He's the reason we're here. We're not here because Nick played my favorite song today. Journey, right? Not, not one of our church songs. Are you kidding me? I'm totally joking. Um, but you know what I'm saying? If we're here for any other reason but Jesus, we might need to change our minds a little bit today. It's always only Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If we make Jesus a big deal in our lives, he will be so attractive to outsiders. That will be so attractive to people outside of this church. I'm so glad to be a part of this family. If you're here today and you say, you know what, that's me. I'm not a part of God's family. I I need to do that. I I realize the importance of being a part of, of the family of God. And you say, today, that's me. I I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I need to be a part of that family. Would you, with no one looking around today, would you be as so bold as just to raise your hand? Say, I need to be a part of that family today. Is there anyone here today? You say, that's me. I need to be a part of that family, the family of Christ, because we're in this together. All right. Maybe you're here today and, and you say, um, you know, say, Jeremy, I, I'm just not sure about this whole family thing, about this whole community thing. Not enough people say hi to me when I walk in the door. Not enough, I, I don't feel like I'm a part of the community. I, I, I feel left out. I, I don't feel a part. We have so many opportunities for you to be involved here in this church. And we want you to be connected. We want you to be, we want you to be a part of our family because we are better together when we're raising up the name of Jesus. Maybe you say today, that's that's me. I just need to be a part of the family. Not just by salvation, but I just need to be connected. I need to be involved. Would you raise a hand? Man, yeah, there's some of us. I'm gonna pray. And and, um, we're gonna close today. and, And I just wanna tell you, I'm so glad to be a part of the family of Christ. There's no greater family that I could ever be a part of. There's no greater community that we can be a part of. And because it's always only Jesus. God, we love you so very much. I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our community. God, I thank you for...